Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. You guys doing good this morning? Yeah, I was telling some guys that I uh, last Sunday I drove to to church from from Hannah and I's house. We live in South KC, like 20 minutes away, and I drove the whole way here with my iPad on the roof of my car. Oh, Stopped like a mile away from the church and was like, <gasps> "It's on the roof," because I was like thinking, "Where is it?" and got out and it was still there. And I had this, I had today's outline typed up, unsaved on a Word document. So, like, if God didn't want me to preach it, it, he could have just, he should have, he could have taken my iPad away just then and there. But um, praise God, that didn't happen. Uh, Good morning, everybody. I'm I'm Nick Hatton. If you don't know me, I'm a teaching elder here at Midtown Baptist Temple, and also I lead the South Kansas City Men's Bible Study through uh, Kaya, this this fellowship that we're all in today. Um, And I was invited by uh, by our pastor Brandon Briscoe to come share a message with you all this morning. And the last time I preached in Kaya was just after the spring retreat. And I, and I did three uh, Sundays in a row on the topic of biblical finances. Do you guys remember that? Some of us, yeah. So I was thinking to myself when Brandon suggested this, I thought, man, you know, there's so much more I could say about biblical finances. Um, so today we're gonna pick up right where we left off in the fourth message uh, about biblical finances. The option to obey, we're going to be talking about what the Bible says about stock option trading. Um, So, uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, no. Hey, don't walk out, Richie. I was joking, man. I was joking. No, I'm kidding. Um, Okay. No, no, no. Rather, we're going to be uh, talking about uh, how God gives us the option to obey. Okay, that's what we're going to be talking about today. And uh, specifically, the option to obey his commandments, or his commands. You know, because as far as Christians go, they, we, if we generalize, there, there are those who choose to obey, and then there are those who choose not to obey. And then there's, of course, people all in between on, on this spectrum. Um, there, are, there are those who are careful to obey, uh, and then those who are careless to obey at the, at the same time. Um, now, for, for the careless, I think that oftentimes something that comes with that carelessness is um, these, these acts of self-justified sacrifice that we put before God in hopes that he'll see these things we're doing and think, like, think yeah, okay, that's obedience too, right? Um, but I wanna make the case today that really he sees those sacrifices, those things we take before him that are not actually his commands for our lives, and he, and he views them as being foolish and, and disobedient, um, Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 22 says this, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And uh, I believe scripture reveals to us that, that this is the path that our foolish sacrifices and our foolish hearts uh, will lead us to, a place and a state of darkness. Um, so we're going to study out this entire idea this morning just by looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 5, uh, verse 1, in, in this message again that I've titled, The Option to Obey, okay? So I'm going to pray real quick, and then we'll, we'll get into it. Um, God, thank you for, for all that you do, Lord. Thank you for uh, the message that we received this morning from Sam. And um, God, just, just a reminder that, uh, you know, God, you have... Uh, called us to a certain work. You've given us certain things that we are to do as, as people who have confessed you as our Lord and Savior. Um, and God, I pray that this morning um, you would just move me aside as, as, we, as we go through your word, as we see what, uh, what you have for us. And um, God, that, that we would hear it. God, I pray that we would hear what your word has for us this morning, each and every one of us. Not that we would hear it and think, yeah, that's perfect for that person or that person, but that we'd hear it for ourselves and that, uh, and that acts of obedience would come from it. Um, God, I pray that we would be a group of people that want to glo- give glory to you with our entire lives. Um, so prepare our hearts right now. Um, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse one. All right, it says, keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools for they consider not that they do evil. Okay, so before we talk about this verse in detail, a little bit, a little bit of context about the book of Ecclesiastes, um, I'll just start off by pointing out that this is a book that was written by King Solomon, right, whom was the last king of a clearly unified nation of Israel before the nation of Israel started down a path of, of instability. Um, so this, this would have been his rule and reign, King Solomon's rule and reign would have been following after his father's, King David. Um, and you know Solomon's known for a lot of things throughout scripture, but one of the things that he's really well known for is uh, that he had divine wisdom bestowed upon him by God. And that's actually what we read in uh, 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 11 through 12. So let's read this real quick. And God said unto him, because thou hast asked this thing and has not asked for thyself long life, neither has asked uh, for riches for thyself, nor has asked the life of thine enemies, but has asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and understanding heart so that there was none like thee before thee, before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. So Solomon, as we read right here, is given divine wisdom uh, by God, and, and it makes him unique amongst all God's creation in, in the sense that he becomes the wisest man who ever lived, you know, according to God's words. And his reputation for this spreads, and it becomes known, um, so much so that we read in the next chapter of 1 Kings, chapter 4, verse 34, we see this, and there came of all people to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all kings of the earth which had heard of his wisdom. Okay, so Solomon would go on to write three books in our Old Testament. In our Old Testament, the, the, the th- and those three books are part of uh, this group of books called the wisdom books. And Pastor Briscoe made mention of this just a couple weeks ago. So he wrote Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and then Song of Songs. Um, so, so that's just a little bit about our author. Um, and, and, and before I get into this verse now, um, I, I guess I just want to let it be known that there is wisdom to be gained here this morning, right? These words were penned by the wisest man who ever lived while he was inspired by God to write them down. So if this isn't where wisdom lies, like, well, you're going to be hard pressed to find it anywhere else. Um, so that's what's before us this morning. There, there's, there's, gonna, there's wisdom from God. Um, and that's, that's before us every time we open this book and every time we come to sit under the teaching of it. So uh, what do you say we hear it, right? Let's hear, let's hear the wisdom that God has for us. So the very first thing that Solomon says in this single verse, he says, keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. Now, as we compare ourselves to scripture, as, as Christians should do, uh, because of these words that, that Solomon has given us, we know what setting to place ourselves in as we make that comparison, okay? Uh, in the house of God or um, in the presence of the Lord, okay? Now, contextually, a little bit more context, Solomon is actually talking about, in this verse, he's making mention of this, this house of God. He's, he would be talking directly about this temple that he, that he built while he was uh, ruling and reigning in Jerusalem, um, and it's an, this is another thing that Solomon was really well known for was the construction and the funding of the first temple. Okay, so we don't look at it from that lens because none, none of us are going to the first temple, right? It, we couldn't if we wanted to. It, got, it gets destroyed uh, in time. So as it applies to the church and for the sake of applicability and practicality, uh, let's, let's consider whether or not we are careful to keep thy foot in the presence of God in our own lives, that's what, we should, that's what we should do this morning. Um, <clears throat> but also, we got to figure out what at first it means to keep thy foot. Okay, so let's, let's ask that question. What does it mean to keep thy foot? And simply put, I don't want to overcomplicate uh, this. It's effectively, to keep thy foot means to watch your step. It means watch your step. This is the only time this phrasing of words is used throughout all of Scripture. So this is where we would go to understand what it means. If we look up the definitions of these words, we find out that it means to watch your step, 
Uh, it means to observe where you are going. It means to take heed of your direction. That's what it means. So Solomon is saying, watch your step when thou goest to the house of God. Watch your step when you're going to be in the presence of God, as people would have done at that time. But uh, for us, it's watch your step in the presence of the Lord. So the, so the next question we want to ask ourselves is, when is it that we are in the presence of the Lord as church believers? When are we in the presence of the Lord? Well, according to Scripture, we see in Matthew 18, verse 20, uh, this. Jesus tells the disciples this. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Okay, so, so according to the Scripture, God, we are in the presence of the Lord this morning because there's a whole lot more than two or three people gathered. That's every Sunday morning. That's every Tuesday night. That's every time we meet for Bible study. That's every time we gather for discipleship. In all of these settings, Christ is saying that he is in our presence when we are in those settings. But then you go on to look at Matthew 28, verse 20, and uh, Jesus says this following the Great Commission. He says, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So as, as disciples of Jesus Christ are living out the mission of Jesus Christ, as they're taking part in that command for our lives, uh, Jesus says that he's with us always as we carry out that mission. Okay, so that, I mean, that might answer our question, but just to make sure we're, we're we're getting it. Uh, Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, uh, he asks a question. He says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. So this, this wonderfully magnificent temple that Solomon would have constructed when he was uh, the king over Israel, what, what Paul is telling us here in this very passage is that the body of the church member has taken the job of that very structure in becoming the temple. Our bodies are the houses of God. So if we consider this question from a dispensational lens, if we rightly divide the, words, the word of truth, um, well, based off New Testament scripture, I don't think there is ever a time where we get to stop watching our steps as followers of Christ because by God's grace, we are always in the presence of our Lord. We're always in his presence. That's what's revealed to us. Every single one of us who have given our lives to Christ are always in his presence. You are not alone if you have Jesus. And, and that ought to do something to us. That ought to do something to us. That ought to, that ought to change the way we carry out all the things that we do in our lives. Right? That ought to make us want to watch our steps and be more careful. Not, not careful in the sense that like, you know, uh, Sam talked about being careful for nothing in first service, right? And that's true. We want to be careful for nothing. But as it concerns how we like, direct our attitude towards the Lord, we want to be careful in that. We do. Okay? And, and that we, ought, we, you know, we, we should take more seriously the vocation wherewith we have been called, as Paul puts it, puts it in Ephesians chapter 4. You know, like seriously, does that make you want to take the titles that the Lord gives you more seriously? The idea that he is always in our presence. Right? I mean, we're given all of these different titles throughout all of Scripture. In 1 Corinthians alone, uh, we see that we are called the stewards of his mysteries. We're called the ambassador, uh, ambassadors to, to the anointed one, to Christ. We see that we're called his children, sons, and daughters in his family. And like each of these titles have a, uh, a vocational description attached to them, right? Just like we all have in our day jobs. Right? In my, I've got a title in my day job. The like, official title is Training and Development Specialist. Okay? And that title means that I have a certain you know, set of tasks that I'm doing every day, and, you know, every day that, I'm, that I'm clocked in and working. Okay? So if my boss came to me and said, Nick, I'm going to give you my full presence today at work, which has never happened. This, is, this has never happened. But if he did, and he's like, hey, I'm going to sit behind you and watch you you know, build curriculum and do everything that you do to, to set up these classes that you teach. And, you know, and, and I was like, all right, let's get to it. H have a seat. And, but instead of like getting to doing the things that my title would, would make him to think I'm doing, the title that this guy gave me, uh, I, I stood up and like moved away from my desk and faced him and started doing anything else, like a mime routine, you know, or a, like a hip hop dance. If I started to do this <laughs> and acted like a box was closing in on me, you know, he would be like, I can see his face. He's a funny guy. I can see his face. He would be like, 
okay, what are you doing, man? <laughs> and, and I, you know, what would I say? Well, I, I think I'm doing my job. He's like, this is not your job. I'm like, yes, it is. I'm a training and development specialist. This is what I do, right? <laughs> All right, boss, honestly, nobody's ever asked me what I do, what I have to do at my job. So I'm trying to figure it out right now in, in motion. But but this is what we do. We say like, yeah, yeah, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I, I take ownership of these titles, but then we start doing a mime routine or something, something else. And Jesus is just like, are you trying to mock me? Because I know my boss would eventually feel mocked if I couldn't eventually get to doing the thing he's told me that my job title means I have to do, right? So are we looking at all that Jesus says and does in our lives and just choosing to be insincere towards him? I could be sincere in the least sense if on that specific day that I knew my boss was going to watch me do my job, that I just did the job I'd been given, right? That would, be, that would be the least sincere I could be. Are we insincere to Christ and, and all that he's done for us and all that, he, that, all that he calls us to? Do we choose to make a mockery of him? And, and the question I want to ask is, are, are, we, are we mocking God with the steps we're taking, Day in and day out. And the answer to that question would be yes, if our God could be mocked. Okay, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 tells us, it says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Right, so our God's not mocked. We're, we're deceived in thinking he could be deceived. We're, we're deceived in thinking that, like, he's going to love this, like, or whatever it may be. He's not mocked. He's watching us not do what, you know, what, we, what, what our titles would lead others to believe we're supposed to do. And he's just thinking, man, this guy or this girl, they are just, they're gonna be reaping something that they wish they never sowed in time. Our Lord gives to us his presence. We ought to be sincere in our faith to him because of that. We ought to be. He's given us his presence. My first key point is this. God has blessed you with his presence. You should choose to bless him with sincere faith in return. And, and as for our faith, it becomes more sincere when we are careful to obey his commands for our lives. That's, that's how it becomes more sincere. And as we move forward this morning, we're going to look at why it is we end up in these positions of practicing insincere faith, uh, you know, towards God. And we're going to do that just by reading on in verse 1 here. So, so far we've read this. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. And the very next thing in that verse is this. And to be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. And to be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. Okay, so Solomon tells us that. He goes on to tell us that. So to hear in this, in this context is defined as to obey. Okay? I mean, if you think about it, it you're not, you know, if you aren't obeying something, it's, you know, you, there, there's evidence that you haven't heard it. If you aren't obeying God, then you must not be hearing God. And maybe you did hear him, but you're not declaring with your actions that you did hear him. He's telling us to be more ready to obey God than to simply act like we are obeying God, than to obey God in an unauthentic, in an insincere way. Now you go on, and then the, the second part of this section of the verse says uh, to give the sacrifice of fools. So, so to offer up the sacrifice of fools is my, is my mime routine or whatever whatever it is that we're doing, right? This is the sacrifice of fools. And, and oftentimes what that is in, in just in very normal terms in our lives, it's, it's an attempt at fooling God into thinking that we're being obedient to him um, when really our, our sacrifice is, is this thing that we're doing because it caters to our own agenda, okay? And, and biblically defined what, what that means, uh, the sacrifice of fools, uh, it's a sacrifice of arrogance. It's arrogant. To, to not do what God says and to instead do the thing that we think makes the most sense. It's telling God, if, you know, that we have a better way in this situation. So a really good biblical example of this is found in 1 Samuel chapter 15, okay, which is, which is where we see this conversation take place between Samuel, the prophet, uh, and the prophet of God and the judge of Israel, 
uh, and, and then King Saul, who was the king of the nation of Israel during this time. So this was two kings before King Solomon, who we're talking about today. And this conversation that we're going to look at here takes place after Saul had been commanded by God to take his army and go wipe out this people group called the Amalekites. And I think it's actually pronounced Amalekites, but I'm going to just say Amalekites. I played, I played the noise, and I was like, man, I wish I wouldn't have heard the correct enunciation. <laughs> um, for those of you who don't know, though, the Amalekites are this people group who are descendants of a man, of a man named Esau, okay? And if you looked up Esau in scripture would take you back to to Genesis. And um, what you'd find out is that Esau is the faithless or the unbelieving brother of this other guy named Jacob. And we know his name probably a little bit better because Jacob goes on to be the man who gives birth to the nation of Israel by way of his 12 sons. God would actually change his name to Israel. And his 12 sons would become the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, so there's a lot of history that goes into this, this, uh, this explanation um, that goes into God's specific command to Saul to go and wipe out the Amalekites. And I don't have time to explain all of that history here and now, but I will say that this people group, the Amalekites, had, had for a long time made it, made it their purpose to be an enemy of God and his people. We're talking shortly after the Jewish people were liberated from Egypt and, and led out of bondage by Moses, uh, the Amalekites were like, hey, let's make it our life goal to right away get started at trying to terminate the Jews, okay? And they'd be the first of, of many, you know, people groups over history to, to try and do that. Um, and, you know, we're seeing that play out today even. Um, but, but God was not having that, okay? God was not having that. We actually read in Exodus chapter 17, verses 14 through 16, we see God declare unending war against the Amalekites. So this is way back in Exodus. We read this. And the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of, the, of Amalek from under heaven. Okay, those are some fine words. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi. For he said, because the Lord hath sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek, from generation to generation. Okay, that is a declaration of unending war against these people. And, you know, as far as the Amalekites are concerned, their, you know, their doomsday is written. It's coming. They have real reason to become doomsday preppers here. Um, like, it's just a matter of time. And that day of reckoning is now at hand as we skip ahead to 1 Samuel 15, verse 3, where we read God's command to Saul, delivered by Samuel, to go and destroy this people. It's time. This is what we read. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not, but slay both man, woman, infant, and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. So Saul gathers together. He hears this command, and he gathers together an army of over 210,000 men. That's what we read. And, and they go and they defeat the Amalekites perfectly according to Saul's will, okay? They do, it a per, they do it perfectly according to Saul's will. Saul does not make sure that God's will gets done completely. He doesn't obey. We read in 1 Samuel 15, verses 8 and 9, we read this. Talking about Saul here, and he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. Okay, that wasn't a part of the command. And utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatlings, and the lambs, and all that was good according to who? According to Saul. And would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse, according to who? Saul. That they utterly destroyed. So this is Saul disobeying. He's disobeying God's will because God's will was one thing. It was go and wipe out this group of people who have made it their life's goal to terminate my people for generations and generations and wipe them out completely. And instead, Saul takes their king captive and anything that belonged to the Amalekites that seemed pleasing to him and his men, he said, let's take that stuff and let's add it unto our own riches. Okay, now, now Samuel catches word of this, and, and he's got to go confront Saul. And Samuel does that because Saul takes his title seriously. Or, I'm sorry, Samuel takes his title seriously. So on behalf of the Lord, he goes and he finds King Saul, and, and King Saul's about to go on a lying spree. Do you guys play Halo 3? Yeah, you get three kills in a row and you hear that voice. Killing spree, right? 
Saul, Saul's just about to just lie, 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 lie. He's about to go on a, on a, on a lying riot. Like that would, be the, that would be the voice that you'd hear here. So he, he does it. He starts lying. He's like, no, 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 Samuel, God can't be mad at me. He can't. I did what he said. I killed all those people ex- except the king. And, and the animals that I took, we, don't, we, we didn't want those for ourselves. We wanted to use those animals to make a sacrifice unto God, okay? And Samuel's reply is what I've been trying to get at this whole time. First Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. To obey is better than sacrifice. Be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. Be not deceived. God is not mocked, right? God doesn't look at the sacrifices we bring before him and think, well, at least they did that. At least that got done. We have to watch our steps in the presence of the Lord because if we aren't careful, our faith in God will really just start to look like a series, like it'll look like us making a series of convenient sacrifices to him in the stead of obedience to his words, in the stead of it. And my second key point is this, there is no substitute for obedience to God. There is no sacrifice that's a good substitute for it. There's nothing that can be said or done that's a good substitute for it. There is nothing that is a substitute for obedience to God. You know, we don't get to exchange our obedience to God for a sacrifice of our choosing and say, here, God, this is better than what you told me to do. I know generally we'd listen to your voice. We'd, we'd, we'd take your advice, right? But in this instance, I had some insight into the situation that you did not. So you are welcome uh, that I innovated your command for my life. Consider your back scratched. I'm gonna keep it up. Right? We don't get to say that. God is not a teller in a marketplace who accepts payment from any of his people in the form of bartering. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And that means that we have another title that we get from him. And that title is the title of a servant. Okay, so, you know, you can just, we should just be careful to, to hear God's commands for our lives so we can just do that. So we can practice and exercise sincere faith before our God who is always who's always with us. You know what I mean? Just as Jesus did. You know, Jesus heard the the commands of his Father in heaven and and was obedient to them. He was obedient unto death. We should be too. You know, Solomon, he finishes verse one here by saying this, for they consider not that they do evil. So let's read this whole thing. Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse one. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Guys, when we trade out obedience to God for a sacrifice of our choosing, what it results in is sin. We, we put on a show of obedience or worship to the Lord that is not actually sincere, and it leads us to be at odds with our Lord. We're offering things up to him that put us at odds with him. And, you know, the example I gave of King Saul and the the slaughter of the Amalekite people, um, that was just one of many times that Saul would do something like that, where he wouldn't just hear God's word. He wouldn't hear it. Um, And and this, this time in particular, he had positioned himself in such great odds with with God that you know he had missed the mark for the last time so what was next for king Saul is was being dethroned as the king of Israel like that was it for him this was this was the the straw that broke the camel's back and in more ways than one Saul is is like many of us you know in, in that he had become a man fixed on his own image and his own insecurities and all his actions became based in in the idea of self-preservation rather than true worship to the Lord. Saul actually goes on to admit in 1 Samuel 15, verse 24. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words. Because I feared the people and, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. This was a result of Saul's inconsideration. 
He feared the people and he obeyed their voice and it made him a fool, right? He should have done what? He should have feared God and obeyed his voice. Proverbs chapter nine, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where wisdom comes from, fearing God, not fearing the people, obeying God, not obeying the people. Saul was fearing the wrong thing and his fear of the people caused him to self-preserve rather than uh, hearing God and doing what would have otherwise just been wise and obedient. And, it's, and we, we take this, this simple process that God has given us and we complicate it. Self-preservation is what oftentimes produces the sacrifice of fools that we bring before the Lord. It's a vain act and it's for everybody else around us. It's not for God, it's for the people around us. And it's for the man and the woman that we all see when we look in the mirror and we say, hey, I got your back before anybody else's back. Meanwhile, God is in that mirror with us because his presence is with us and he's just like, he's like, come, you know, you're not acknowledging me. You're not acknowledging me. Operating this way long enough in your faith carelessly, this will just start to look like evil in our lives. Very quickly, wickedness, you know, or weakness can, can change into wickedness. Like this can happen. It can start out as weakness, but it can quickly become wickedness. And, and, and we're not even considering that that's happening. And we don't consider the ramifications of that in our lives and in the lives of others. Like if we're discipling people and this is how we act, well, this is what is going to be reproduced in our disciples. People who strive for self-preservation in the name of God, right? And th- this is not something that God wants us reproducing. Do you want to reproduce wisdom in ministry or do you want to reproduce foolishness? Do you want to reproduce your own foolish habits? And I asked myself this same question, right? You know, as we heard from Pastor Briscoe a couple weeks ago, wisdom is a product of obeying, of, of, of being obedient to God's word. So it's gotta be a product of hearing him, right? So what we learn from King Saul in this whole example contrasted to the fact that obeying God produces wisdom in a believer's life is, is my next key point, and it's the opposite of that. Ignoring God turns believers into fools, Okay, this is what not being obedient leads us to. And, and so often, this is just a, a result of our inconsideration. Our carelessness towards God is what gets us here. So I, I, haven't, I haven't said this plainly enough up until this point, but I'm, I, wanna, I wanna say it right now. Everything we do for God has potential to be a covering for what we don't want to do for God. Everything. You know, think about it. And I'm not, I'm not calling out anybody here specifically. I'm, I'm generalizing. But I imagine many of us find ourselves in some of these camps. But think about it. Some of us never miss a Bible study. Some of us never miss our week to serve in church. Some of us never mess up our memory verses in discipleship. Some of us are always the first to volunteer at every opportunity. Some of us have literally in years never said no to an opportunity to serve. And, and that's good unless those of us think that, that, that the things that we do in all of those different ways make us good with God, right? I mean, people who, who operate according to that, that solely, um, you know, what, what they say to themselves is, man, I, I do everything. So I do everything, so I'm good with God. I'm good with God because I do everything. You know, our counsel from these people is like, you should do more. You're not available enough. Look at, look at, look at what I'm doing. Do, do like what I'm doing. Okay? Now, on the opposite end of that spectrum is others who, who do just maybe a few of these things. Maybe they just... They, they, they hardly miss Bible study. They got discipled six months to a year and a half ago, and that, that, that's that, and they've been serving faithfully since that time. Okay, they never miss church the week that they have to serve. Um, they've got their bases covered, and to them, that stuff is sacrifice. So, so they're good. That's sacrifice to me. That's my sacrifice. And their counsel is the same thing. It's cover, cover your bases, if you cover your bases, aren't you doing everything you're supposed to be doing, right? Now, you know, whether you're one of these two people, if you're something in between, or if you exist outside 
you know, the extremes, um, or maybe you're none of these things because you're a new believer and you've yet to begin doing anything. If you're new, don't let this become your, the pattern for you. Don't. Because for those of us who are here, we're missing the point of our faith. You know, in God's eyes, our sacrifices are beginning to look foolish. And our counsel and our thought process and our mode of operation is beginning to become evil. It's, it's moving from weakness to wickedness. And we're not even noticing it because it's so subtle. Because it's so subtle. And you're not noticing it because we're not keeping our foot in the presence of the Lord. And because we're not doing that, we're not really hearing him. Because we're not hearing him, there's no true obedience coming out of our lives. You know, but there is something else. There's this, this neoclassical, this post-Philadelphian you know, post, uh, version, uh, this freestyle version of Christianity where we get, to we get to be obedient to what we want to be obedient to. And as long as, if we're obedient to that thing, it means we don't have to be obedient to this thing over here, right? And we get to say things like, yeah, as a new believer, I've just never felt called to baptism. But I do want to serve in the church as soon as possible. Who should I talk to about serving in the church? We get to say things like, um, you know, yeah, to me, Bible study and church attendance are interchangeable. I go to two Bible studies a month. Well, then I can go to two Sundays at church a month. And it really, the most important thing is that I just don't miss the week I'm serving at church. That's what I do at church. And maybe we don't say these things out loud, but we sure do say these things to ourselves in our heads. We get to say things like, yeah, I've never felt called to evangelism. I think God has commanded me to be a reader of his word, just not a sharer of it. I love God's word. I love to read it, but I'm not the guy to share it. And it's like God sees these thoughts. He sees these patterns. He sees these actions in our lives. And he knows exactly what we're doing. He knows that we are taking things that we learned in the world and we're bringing them into his church. We're taking processes of the world. We're using those processes to manage his commands for our life according to methodologies that were made up by men. You know, and, 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 you know, and that's because you know, men have been having the same, you know, everything people do. It's just all about, it's all about balancing scales. It's all about like even exchange. It's all about keeping up on the basis of favors. And men and women have been having the same conversation as long as they can have it. Like for 6,000 years, men have been saying, it's this for that. And people are like, no, 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 it's that for this. And that person's like, no, 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 it's, it's, you can have this for that if I get that for this. They're like, no, 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 you don't get to have that for this unless I get this for that. And that person's like, well, well, okay, fine, fine, but I'll remember this. And then that person's like, fine, well, I'm gonna remember that. <laughs> and this is, this is the conversation that men and women have been having. And this is the conversation we bring into the church. Meanwhile, God's got this other deal for us. And he interrupts that conversation. He's like, goodness gracious, I can't take this another second. And he gives a big, powerful shh. And he says, hey, look, look. I've got, I've got a deal for you. I've, I've got a deal for you, okay? And it's the deal that trumps all deals. He interrupts that silly conversation of men and he says, I'm going to send my only son <clears throat> to die a horribly painful death for your sins while you're still living in obedience to them. Okay, Romans chapter five, verse nine, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he goes on to say, the deal's not done. What you get from this opportunity, or what you get from this is an opportunity to be justified, to have the price of your sin debt paid in full by my son, Jesus Christ. Romans chapter five, verse nine, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Now at this point, a lot of people walk away. They're like, no, this sounds like it's gonna cost me too much, Right? And I remember hearing this, and it, like I heard this at a moment in my life when I was 22, eight years ago, where I, I heard it, and I had ears to hear it at this point, and, but, but I was hesitant. I was like, okay, okay, uh, justified, sin debt paid, saved from wrath, that sounds pretty good so far, but for what? Right? My question was still, but for what? But God ignores the question that men, that men ask there, and he says, and then also, you get to be reconciled to your creator. You get to be saved from hell and you will then receive true joy in God that you can, you can receive it nowhere else and you're gonna get atonement for your sins through Jesus Christ, my son. 
Romans chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. And if, and if, and if you're like me in this situation where I'm hearing this, you're like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I need. This is what I need. This is what I need. And, 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 and as I'm talking to this figurative voice from heaven, I'm telling him that. This is obviously what I need, but what is the this that I have to give up for that? And God says, it's free. He says, it's free. You get to have my grace. You get to have my mercy. I want to give you my presence always. You're going to get a new identity. I'm going to view you as my child. And still, the mind of men cannot comprehend it. They're like, but for what? And he's like, look, we're talking about everlasting life here. You have nothing valuable enough. You have nothing meaningful enough. You have nothing permanent enough that could ever pay this price. The price for the blood of my son? Kenny Morgan would say, forget about it. (laughs) But still, like if we're right in our mind, this is too good of a deal. Free? I've been told my whole life that there's no such thing as a free lunch. Somebody's paying for that lunch, right? Who's paying for this lunch, God? There's got to be something that I can give you for this. And, And here's what he says. He says, look, look, because I love you with all that I am, which is so beyond your comprehension, I'm going to give you a choice going forward. And it's the same choice I gave to your original father, Adam. Accept this deal and you will have the option to obey. You'll have the option to obey me or not going forward. And, having the, and in having that option to choose me at this moment of salvation and, and then to choose me again and again and again every day after that, by having that option, my love for you should be made perfectly clear. Don't forget it. Don't forget that's, that's what that option represents. And if you choose to obey my commands in return, then that'll be payment enough. I'll see your sincere faith. I'll see your sincere sacrifice. I'll see it, and that's, that's, you can do that. You can do that. That's what you can do. But whether or not you do that, you're worth this sacrifice to me. Yeah. You get the option. John chapter 14, verse 15. If ye love me, keep my commandments. 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Solomon says that in the presence of God, we have to be intentional to hear and obey him first. And that's important because as we see, this is how we show God that we love him. And our walk with God's guy, guys is not about us. It's about him. It's about him. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes 5.1 that when we do not hear God and do not obey him, what we bring before him is a sacrifice that is foolish, that is arrogant. But as we see here, we're called to sacrifice. Now, these things do not like contradict each other. They don't. Because in choosing to obey God and allowing our bodies to become that living sacrifice unto him, our sacrifice is not foolish, it's reasonable, and it's pleasing to him. And that's because there's no attempted exchange taking place for what he commanded. There's nothing. We do not have to live according to this worldly notion that, that, that came from man that says it's got to be this for that. You're free of that. You're free of that. It's, it's just this for you, God. It's, it's this mind for you, God. It's this heart for you, God. These hands, these feet, the steps they take are for you, God. If I could bring my wife up here, I'd squeeze her neck and I'd say, this union <laughs> is for you, God. <laughs> if I could bring my, my two babies up here, I'd, ho- I'd hold them up like Simba. <laughs> and I'd say, this they're for you. And, and if, I could take, if I could get my Bible study up here, I'd get, I'd get them all up here and I'd try to squeeze all of their necks, but they're big, broad dudes. <laughs> A lot of them single. So I couldn't get all the way around. <laughs> and I'd say, everything that's happening in our lives together is for you, God. 
It's for you. It's not this for you, Lord, so not that for you, Lord. And it's definitely not, hey, until I get that, Lord, I can't do this for you, Lord. Jesus' sacrifice for all of humanity utterly destroyed the idea of this for that. This worldly notion has no place in the house of God, yet we bring it in. It has no place in relationships that are based in Jesus Christ, friends, family, marriage, or, or otherwise, yet we bring it in. It has no place in God's economy whatsoever, yet we bring in this idea of this for that to God's economy, and we try to disrupt the markets. And we're fickle enough that we let that market get disrupted. We do. We let it happen. We say things we shouldn't say. We think things we shouldn't think. We believe lies, and we act on it. And it's because we're all just like, you know, we're, we're doomed to this behavior absent, absent being obedient to God. No matter how obedient any of us choose to be to God today, it will never take the place of how obedient that we have to choose to be to God tomorrow. There is no scale to be balanced, but you have the option. My fourth key point is this. An obedient believer in Christ does not dismiss today what he did in obedience to Christ yesterday. Okay, and this is a quote that I heard from Mark Trotter the first time I ever heard him preach. And he's right. There's nothing we did for God yesterday that, that means we, don't, we shouldn't want to do that thing for God today. There's nothing. So what are some, I want to give you guys time to write this down, so hold off on switching the slides there, Kenta, but um, what are some commands from God that we can start hearing and obeying God about right away? If you didn't get it down, it's online. Here's seven. Here's seven commands. Okay? Here's seven commands that we can start obeying right away. Okay, baptism. If you are a brand new believer to the faith who is yet to be baptized, this is the first command that you get to follow. Every new believer is called to do it. Okay? Matthew 28, verse 19. It's laid out for us clearly. Evangelism. If you are a believer at any stage of your walk, you have been commanded to share the gospel and faith. Every believer has been commanded to take part in this. Matthew 28, verse 19. Also, Matthew, or Mark chapter 1, verse 17, Christ tells the disciples that he's going to make them into fishers of men. He wants them to be men who would reach the nation with the gospel. Discipleship. Number three, if you are a believer at any stage of your walk who has yet to get a hold of the foundations of your faith, God has actually commanded you to, in time, allow discipleship to take place in your life. We see that in Matthew 28, verse 20. We see that reiterated by uh, the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. You've been commanded to, to let discipleship happen, to allow the word of God to be invested in your life, and then to invest it into the life of others. To be equally yoked. Believers, at any stage of your walk, you've been commanded to let go of relationships that are holding you back from moving forward in faith. Okay, we see that in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. It says, uh, Paul tells us plainly, uh, to, be, to not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, I also want to point out that there might be believers in the room right now who have yoked their self to a believer who's causing them to transgress in their faith. Okay. And, 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 and to, to think that because somebody has a testimony of salvation that you get to live in sin with them before God in his presence, well, that, that's a balancing of scales, isn't it? Okay? This is a foolish, a foolish sacrifice you've thought up for yourself, which takes me to my next, my next one, and that's to stop sinning. This might feel far too obvious, but it's one we gotta hear again and again and again and again. God's people have been commanded to turn away from sin. John chapter 5, verse 14, John chapter 8, verse 11, Jesus says, sin no more. But we got to hear it so that we can obey it, so that we can live that out. Be present in church. Number six, we are called to be present with the body of Christ. To not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Okay, this doesn't mean that 
We're just called to come to church on the days where it makes the most sense to us. You know, like, it's, I'm, not, I'm not saying be legalistic. If you, you know, we miss church here and there too. Things, things come up. But, but man, your point, the point of being at church is not to serve on the week you're serving. That is a good thing. But that's not the point of being at church, okay? This is, this is a sacrifice we've made up for ourselves. Study the word. Number seven, we are called to be workmen in God's word, and we are commanded to study in order to show ourselves approved. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Every believer has been called to pick up the word of God and to, to study it, to know it for themselves so that they can be ministers. So here, these are, these are seven commands that any of us can start obeying today, which this is not an exhaustive list. There's other commands, right? There are other commands, be sober, be vigilant, right? Mark, uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 15. I guess that's a command to preach the gospel. I did get that one. But, but, but either way, there, there are other commands. But, but all of these commands and all of the commands that we've been given all have uh, some commonalities, okay? And I just want to cover two of those commonalities as we wrap up this morning, okay? So, so first off, we don't have to obey any of them, right? We don't. We don't have to obey any of these things, and, and some of us are like, yeah, I know. Because I've been not obeying any of these things for a good long time, right? And to, and to that person, we should ask the question we see in Romans 6, verses 1 and 2, which says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Don't let the bondage of your previous life become your boss again. Don't. You've got a new boss. You've got a new title. Do the job description. Don't let that happen. Now, the second thing that all of these commands that God gives us has in common is that they are all found in Scripture. They're all found in Scripture. They are not made up in our heads. They are not justified by our own reasoning. Those two things produce foolish sacrifices. Those are the catalysts for our foolish sacrifices that we bring before the Lord. If we want to be more ready to hear God, then we do have to open up his book. And even more than just open it up, we have to fall in love with it. We have to. We have to fall in love with it. We have to remember who our first love was to begin with. John 1.1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Many of us say we love Jesus Christ and we want to live for him, but we don't want to pick up his book. But these two things, Jesus Christ and his word, are inseparable. You can't, you can't love one and hate the other. They're the same master of our lives. And if we want to be more ready, look, if we, if we want to truly walk with the Lord in, in, the way, in a way that, that is sincere, we, we have to let the word of God be the guide in our life. We have to. There's no, way to, there's no other way to do it. We got we to gotta let that be our guide in union with the spirit that indwells all of us and in union with the prayers, the, the conversations that we have with God, okay? It's, it's inseparable. You will not hear God's audible voice give you a command. You won't. God is not going to say, Andres, take a left turn in the face of this decision, right? He's not going to say, Micah Sanders, duck, that door frame's not tall enough. He's not going to say that. I've never had to duck walking through a doorframe in my whole life. God's audible voice is not going to speak to us. But with the words that he has preserved for us in this book, we have a solution to our insincere faith. We have a path that's been illuminated for every one of, uh, every one of us, right? Psalm 119, verses 104 through 106. Through thy precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. 106, I have sworn and I will perform it, that I will keep thy righteous judgments through the understanding that we get from God in our hearts. Through that understanding, every single false way can be made known unto us, which means what? Which means that we can know which step not to take. We can know which way not to go. Because all the false ways are made known. His word as a lamp unto our feet will show us which steps to take. Which means we can keep thy foot 
in the presence of our Lord just as Solomon in all his wisdom instructs. We just stay on the illuminated path. If it's not illuminated, then we don't step there. If, it's, if, it's, if there's a shadow on it, I mean, f- step around that shadow if possible, right? Stay on the illuminated path. And if we're doing this, the things we end up doing or performing, as it's, as it's said here, the sacrifices we make can be sincere and righteous. All the stuff we do can be sincere. Because as James chapter two teaches us, our faith does get revealed by the good works that follow our faith. We just gotta make sure those works are based in his will according to what we've heard from him rather than our will according to what makes the most sense to us. We can keep it straight. And that takes me to my fifth key point. If true love for God's word is not the most important aspect of your faith, you will fail to hear him. You're gonna fail to hear him. There's no other way to hear him. And if you fail to hear him while you got his presence in this life, what you're doing is you are squandering his presence in this life. And at the end of it, there's not gonna be any evidence of wisdom in you. And it'll, it'll be because you didn't use the Holy Bible as a lamp. That is the solution. Rather than an artificial light or like a, like a flashlight, right? The Holy Bible is the solution. It's the true light. I don't know about you guys, but in my house, my flashlights are always on the verge of death. They're always flickering every time I turn them on. Does, I, don't, I don't know if they like use batteries even when they're off, but I don't know. Like, seriously, the power goes out in, in our neighborhood a lot, and we get, we'll get our flashlights out and... I'll be walking around trying to make sure everything's okay and uh, it's flickering, it's flickering. I'm walking around in partial darkness until it just dies and then I'm, I'm trying to find new batteries in the dark. I'm walking around. I'm bumping into things, hurting my knee on the table. I open up the drawer with all of the remotes that we don't use in it. I pull out, open, I open the remote. I take those batteries. I put them in this flashlight and all that work for voila, another flickering flashlight. <laughs> and all the while, I've been walking in circles, like many of us do, in the dark, out of the dark, in the dark, out of the dark, not being careful with my steps. And I've ended back up at the pile of vomit that is my sin, that is my way, that is my truth, that is my life, and God the Father is not at the end of this ridiculous path that we make for ourselves. He's not. Our flashlights and our foolish sacrifices are not a substitute for the true flame that is God's word. Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, and Jesus is the life, and there is no way to get to God the Father absent going through him. And if you use his word, if you use it to illuminate your path, then just like Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse one, you can keep thy foot in the presence of the Lord. You can hear the Lord and obey his commands. You can can avoid all the foolish sacrifices that we want to offer up to God. You can avoid them. And you can ward off evil in all its inconsiderate ways in your life. You can actually be a Christian who lives a life that is glorious unto the one true God who died for you in exchange for nothing but the option to obey him in return. What will you choose? What will you choose? What, what, What have you been choosing? This is what we need to confront ourselves with today. Um, Worship team, if you want to come up. Could you bring back that slide with the seven commands that we've been, seven of the commands we've been given? Look, look, some of us today during the altar call need, need to repent about the way we've been addressing God so carelessly in the steps that we've been taking. Okay, some of us need to do that. Some of us need to decide and admit, like, man, I've been ingenuine in my faith. I've been doing a whole lot of stuff that's meaningless to God because I haven't been doing anything that he's actually commanded me to do specifically. Okay, so some of us should repent. Some of us should pray with the person that, that we're sitting next to. Some of us should come up and speak to one of the, the, the leaders who's gonna be up here to, to pray with you. And we should, we should admit to ourselves what we've been doing and then, and then move on don't, we don't need to grieve over the way we've been living. Let's move on from it and let's start doing the things that God's actually commanded us to do. Okay? And, and, and there's some of you in the room who, who, are not, you know, who are not believers at all. Like You maybe disagree with everything I've said up here today, 
And um, look, every time somebody hears the gospel, hears, hears that Jesus Christ died for your sins, was buried for three, three days, and then rose from the grave so that you could be reconciled to God the Father, every time somebody hears that and says no, what they're saying to the creator of the universe is I've got a better way. They're saying, I've got my own way to my own salvation, and I'm telling you there's no other way to salvation absent going through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. So you're invited to come up here now to at least entertain that conversation. Nobody will make you do anything because you've got the option, right? We're not interested in, in, in forcing anybody to do anything, but you're invited to come have a conversation about that today Listen, guys, if, if, you've, if you've hesitated to do the things that God has told you to do, you've stunted your walk, okay? Everybody. Let's start obeying God today and see what he does in our lives, all right? I'm gonna pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, all that you do. God, I pray that, that people would make decisions today for you and that we would just, just admit to ourselves how fleshly we are, how arrogant we are before you and what we wanna do for you. God, I pray that we would simplify our faith by doing exactly what you tell us to do um, always. God, we love you. We want to glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.li.com.